Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. We'll get to the recording of this Sunday's message in just a moment, but first I want to ask, are you a listener who does not attend in person on Sundays, but who would be interested in meeting with other St. Paul's listeners in your area for a small group? Right now we have a couple people connected to St. Paul's who live in the New Haven shoreline area who would like to start an in-person small group you know, to meet for fellowship and discussion of the previous week's message. And so if you happen to be from the New Haven shoreline area and you would be interested in that, please email me to let me know. Ryan at stpaulswired.org. That's stpaulswired.org. And if you're not in that area, but you're in another area and you'd be interested in meeting with other listeners there, Email me to let me know what area you're from, and maybe we can put something together. In fact, even if you're not interested in a small group, but you're just a regular listener who doesn't attend in person, we'd love to hear from you just to know that you're out there, because uh, we don't really know how many people listen to this. So if you're willing, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. All right, good morning. So, uh, as Keith said in the announcements, um, we're starting a new sermon series next week, and it's called Quick to Listen, Sermons Inspired by Songs. And the way it's going to work is each week, I think we're going to do it for five weeks, uh, we're going to begin by actually listening to a song, and then I'll use that song as like a launch pad for reflection on faith, the gospel, scripture. And um, the songs that I'm picking are not necessarily going to be Christian songs by Christian artists. Um, some of them might be, but uh, there's no guarantee of that. There is only two requirements for the songs that I'm picking. One, that I like them. And two, that they inspire a sermon. And uh, that's it. So, uh, and I want to be very honest, I uh, didn't uh, create this idea myself. For the last three or four years or so, um, I've been listening to the podcast of a church in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, called Word of Life Church. And every year there, the pastor, a guy named Brian Zond, he does a series called Finding God in the Music, and he picks four or five songs that he likes, and it has this same format. And every year I've listened to him do that, I've thought, oh, that would be so much fun to do that. But I don't do it because I think, well, I don't want to be a copycat. But then this year I thought again, oh, it would be so much fun to do that. And, you know, it's more being inspired by if I'm picking different songs than he does. So I'm going to be picking completely different songs than uh, Pastor Brian Zond. And uh, hopefully if he ever happens to find out that I've done this, he doesn't take offense. So, I I highly doubt he would. 
Um, and it's called Quick to Listen because it's based on that passage from the book of James that says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to become angry. And uh, so we're going to be quick to listen to some songs, really listen to what these artists are saying, and then consider how what they're saying relates to faith, scripture, and the gospel. So I strongly encourage you to consider inviting somebody who might not have a lot of experience being in a church or maybe isn't sure what they believe. This might be a good way um, for them to come to a church and, and feel like there's something that they can uh, really relate to and um, might meet Jesus through that. So, um, but uh, that's for next week. And this week, we're in between series, and I thought what we could do is just spend some time reflecting on the Lord's Prayer, uh, what's also sometimes known as the Our Father. And I'm going to read the prayer as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard this prayer hundreds, thousands of times throughout your life. You may have said it hundreds or thousands of times, um, but we want, what we want to do this morning is really think about the significance of these words. So I will read this from the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to say it out loud with me, feel free. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of you might be thinking, wait, what about the ending, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I love that ending. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it. Uh, but it isn't actually in the oldest manuscripts of the Bible. Uh, if you have a King James version of the Bible, it includes that line. Um, but the newer printings of the King James Version, even those will have a little footnote that says, actually, that's not in the oldest manuscripts that we have. So when Jesus first gave us the Lord's Prayer, it probably didn't have that little ending to it. Uh, so most translations you'll find now, they'll end right there with, deliver us from the evil one. But whether or not that last line is uh, supposed to be there, this prayer is very worthy of our attention because it is the prayer that Jesus gave us as an example of how to pray. He said, when you pray, you should pray like this. Now, when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, it's part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus's ethical teachings, and it comes in a larger section about prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is given to us as a counterexample to two kinds of prayer that are unhealthy. So let's read that section. If you have your Bible, this is uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray, our Father. So Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer in contrast to two kinds of unhealthy prayer. And I would describe these two kinds of unhealthy prayer as prayer as performance for other people and prayer as performance for God. So let's consider both of those. Prayer as performance for other people. Jesus talks about these hypocrites who pray in public. He's probably talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their time. And he says they often pray in public because they love to be seen praying. The problem is not simply that they pray in public. Jesus prayed in public sometimes. The problem is their motivation for praying in public. Their their purpose in praying is not so much to talk to God, it's to have others see them talking to God. And Jesus says that if this is their motivation, then they already have their reward in full. To put it in modern language, we might say that the Pharisees were using prayer as a means of virtue signaling. They were praying in order to let people know, I am virtuous, be impressed with my holiness, right? But whether or not they were truly virtuous was not actually important to them. It was a means of signaling their virtue, of uh, brand management, brand cultivation, image management, right? And in this day and age, there's a lot of temptation to make a lot of what we do about virtue signaling and image cultivation and brand management, right? Because everyone can have their own brand online, right? You can market yourself all the time. And so Jesus says that instead of praying publicly, we should go into our rooms and pray privately. Now again, Jesus is not saying that all forms of public prayer are always wrong. But what he is saying is that some of our prayers have to be private. How do you know that your prayers are not just a performance for other people? There's only one way to know. If you ever pray when you're alone. Right? If you never pray when you're alone, then there's a good chance that you're never really praying. You're just performing. And so the way that we guard ourselves and make sure that we actually have a real prayer life is by sometimes praying when nobody else can hear except for our Father. So, prayer is not just meant to be a performance for other people. But it's also not supposed to be a performance for God. Jesus gives the example of pagans who keep babbling. Now, that word pagan in that time, it just meant people who were not Jewish. And Jesus recognizes that something that was characteristic of the prayers of non-Jewish people is that they would go on and on and on. Why did they go on and on? Because they had this idea that if they went on and on and on, they were more likely to be heard by God. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever thought, you know, if I just spend enough hours asking for the same thing and I get enough people to join me in asking for the same thing, 
then finally I'll win God over. And finally he will do what I am asking. Right? I remember when I was in school, you know, sometimes you would get assigned an essay and it would have a word count. And you'd, you'd write it and you'd say it, what you had to say, and then you'd do the word count and you'd be like, oh, I'm short. So then what do you do? Well, you go in there and you try to find ways to make the sentences longer than they actually need to be, right? But you're saying the same thing, right? Some people seem to think that God is going to be fooled by that, right? That if we just inflate our sentences longer and longer and, and say things that could be said much shorter in a longer way, well, then God, then God will be like, well, now I can really take them seriously. Now I'm persuaded. Jesus didn't say, here's how you should pray. Give us, this, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Oh Lord, I beseech you, the bread that I need, give it to me on this day. Right? No, he just said, this is how you should pray. Give me today my daily bread. Right? Jesus doesn't want us to relate to God as if he's hard of hearing or as if he is a teacher who is requiring a certain word count on an essay. He wants us to relate to God as a father who loves us and who knows what we need before we even ask. Now, some people, they point sometimes to a parable that Jesus told as evidence that we're supposed to have this approach to prayer where we just say the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's a prayer that he told about a persistent widow. Do you guys know this parable? In fact, the way the parable is introduced, Jesus says, or I believe it's uh, the gospel writer Luke, he says, Jesus told them a parable for why they should always pray and never give up. And then he tells this, this parable, which is about a woman who is a widow and she is seeking justice. Somebody has wronged her in some way. And she keeps going to a judge. And this judge is an unjust judge. It says that he does not fear God or people. Great judge, right? And this widow keeps going to him and knocking on his door and saying, give me justice, give me justice. And he keeps saying, get out of here, get out of here. And then finally, one day, she says, give me justice. And he says, even though I don't care about God or people, I'm going to give you justice because I'm sick of this, basically. But the thing we have to realize about that parable is that Jesus is not implying that God is like the judge. That would be ridiculous. Jesus is implying that God is not like the judge. Therefore, if even an unjust judge will eventually give justice if someone keeps asking him, how much more so will our good Father in heaven grant justice? When we ask. And this is why we should persevere and never give up because we know that the true judge is way better than that judge. That's what that parable means. So we don't want to take that the wrong way, okay? That, that parable is not saying to us that we're supposed to babble on forever and then God will hear our prayers. No, it's saying you can count on God to eventually bring justice and this is why we should not give up. All right, so let's look at the prayer itself. Now remember, the Lord's Prayer is a counterexample 
from these false kinds of prayer. Prayer is not supposed to be a performance for other people. This prayer that Jesus gives us, it's not the kind of prayer that if somebody heard a Pharisee praying it on the street corner, that they'd be super impressed by it. I mean, it is a blink and you missed it kind of prayer. And it's not the kind of prayer that puts on a big performance for God, a big show. It is simple. It is not repetitive. It is not long. It is to the point. But it is also a prayer that gives us an example of the kinds of things that we should be prioritizing in our prayers if we are going to be formed in the right way. Prayer is not simply about just saying to God what we're thinking although that's, that's part of prayer. If any of you are familiar with the Psalms, right? What are the Psalms? They are 150 prayers, direct addresses in the Bible that show us that we can pour out our hearts to God. We should feel free to do that, okay? But prayer is not only pouring out our hearts to God, and prayer is not only supposed to be making requests of God. Prayer is supposed to be something that we do that helps to form us in the right direction. It's supposed to be a way that we remind ourselves of what is true and we maintain the kind of perspective that God wants us to have. And, and the Lord's Prayer is the kind of prayer we should be praying if we want to be formed correctly. Okay, so let's look at the prayer itself. First line, our Father in heaven. Now, it might not seem that significant to us, that Jesus tells us to address God as Father. I mean, we live in a time where, you know, people say all the time, oh, my heavenly Father, right? But in those days, that was not the norm. Jesus was unusual when he showed up and he was always referring to God as his Father. In fact, remember, I, I just referenced the Old Testament book of the Psalms. It contains 150 direct addresses to God. I did a search how many times does the word Father appear in the Psalms as a direct address to God? I found four times in 150 Psalms, direct addresses to God. And even those times, it's kind of things like, well, he is a father to the fatherless, right? It's not usually like just, oh, Father, I praise you. So Jesus is introducing something different something new in our relationship with God, which is, I want you to recognize God as your father. Now, I know if some of us have had bad experiences with earthly fathers, that might not sound very attractive to us. But of course, Jesus wants us to recognize God as a good father, right? The kind of father who knows what we need before we ask, the kind of father who wants to provide for us. The kind of father who is like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, right? You guys know this story, right? A father who is willing to welcome his son home with open arms even after he squandered the family inheritance. Jesus wants us, when we pray, to recognize that we have a father in heaven who is like that. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Well, literally it means, may your name be recognized as holy. 
Another way of putting this would be, may you, God, be honored above all else. Above all else. Something is holy if it is worthy of the highest possible honor. So when we ask that something be hallowed, we're asking that it be recognized as holy. And when, we recon- when we're asking that something be recognized as holy, we're asking that it be honored supremely. Hallowed be your name. Honored be your name. May your name be worshipped. And what we're praying here is something similar to what we're commanded to do in the first of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods besides me. So we're praying that that command will be true in our own lives and in the world as a whole. God, Father, may we have no other gods except you. May we honor you supremely. Not money, not personal ambition, not our own pride, but you, Lord, may you be hallowed. May you be honored. And then we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now there's a lot of meaning packed into that line right there. This part of the prayer reminds us of something important, which is that right now, God's will is not the only will that's being done in the world. Things are not as they should be. There is beauty in the world. God's fingerprints are all over it. But the world is also broken. And so we pray, your will be done, because his will is not always done right now. But... We pray in the hope and recognition that one day God's kingdom will come. It is not always going to be this way. What does that mean to say, God, your kingdom come? It says, God, it means may your your reign come to earth, your rule come to earth. Now you might say, well, doesn't God reign over the earth right now? Well, yes, in a sense. But one day, God will reign over all of creation in a way where there is now no distinction between how things actually are and what God's will is. One day, there will be perfect harmony between those two things. And so, we pray the Lord's Prayer in the expectation that that will one day happen, but we're not there yet. And as we pray, Lord, may things be done on earth as they are in heaven, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are reminding ourselves today, right now, I get to be part, if I want to, of being part of making earth more like heaven. I can participate in helping God's will to be done here on earth. All right. Next part. Now, notice, so far... This has been a very not self-centered prayer, right? It's not me, me, me at all. It's a very big picture prayer, right? We're thinking about the whole world. Lord, may the whole world recognize you as supreme and honor you. And may your will be done on the whole earth. But now there's this shift in the prayer down from this big picture perspective to very personal, individual needs, right? Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, in those days, bread was the dominant food source, the food staple. 
Sorry to you guys who are gluten allergic. Would be rough. Um, but if you had food, you had bread. And so Jesus is saying we should be asking God, depending on God, to meet our physical needs. Food, shelter, income. But I don't think that Jesus is only thinking about physical needs here. I think he's also thinking about spiritual needs as well. Because, of course, Jesus describes himself as the bread of life, right? So when we say, give us today our daily bread, we're saying, Lord, please meet my physical needs today. But we're also saying, God, please meet my, my spiritual needs today, right? What are our spiritual needs? Well, we have a need for peace and for joy and purpose and love. And so we pray this, recognizing that we have needs that need to be met, and that God invites us to turn to him to have those needs satisfied. I think that word daily is significant too. Daily bread. Give us today our daily bread, not give us today our yearly bread, or even our weekly bread. And that's significant for two reasons. One, because it reminds us not to get greedy, right? You don't need a year's worth of bread right now. What you really need is today's, and that's what God promises to give us, what we need for today. But second, Jesus is encouraging us to recognize that we need to turn to God for help every day. You know, not just when the going gets really rough and we're at the end of our rope, but if we really, what we really need is daily sustenance from the Lord, right? We need to be turning to, him for, turning to him for that physical and spiritual nourishment every day. All right, next. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last week, our guest speaker, Brian Prue, spoke about forgiveness and I hope you guys appreciated that. I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I'll probably do that later today. Um, but here we are again with the theme of forgiveness. Forgiveness is absolutely central to Jesus' teaching. And even if that makes us uncomfortable, we got to deal with that, right? Because we can't say we're fans of Jesus without talking about forgiveness. We can't do it. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, that line starts in a way that we might expect, right? Ask God for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. But it ends with a twist. Forgive me, Lord, as I am willing to forgive others. It adds a condition, which is a very interesting thing to pray, right? Jesus is saying... I don't want you asking for forgiveness for things that you are not willing to grant others forgiveness for. That's hypocritical. Jesus wants us to only ask for forgiveness for that which we are willing to forgive in other people. And so when we pray this part of the prayer, Jesus wants us to use it as a chance to ask ourselves, am I being forgiving? Not just, God, are you forgiving me, but am I being a forgiving person? 
And I think this, it's very interesting that this is right in the middle of this prayer, right? Jesus wants us to be thinking about this on a daily basis. Am I forgiving others in the same manner that I would want to be forgiven by God? Am I doing that? Now, I realize forgiveness is a really difficult topic. If you have been sinned against, harmed, abused by somebody else, it can feel very hurtful to be told you have to forgive. And I understand that, and I want to acknowledge that. And, and this is where we have to recognize what forgiveness is not. A couple things that forgiveness is not. It is not staying in a relationship with someone who is abusive. It is not enabling someone to continue doing harm. It is not even keeping someone from having to answer to the laws of the state if they have violated them. That's not what that means. Forgiveness is a decision that we make to let go of hatred. That feeling that we have in our hearts of rage, of wanting someone to be hurt because of what they've done, that is what we are asked to let go of. And it is also a decision we make to refuse to respond to evil with evil. When we have evil done to us, the first thing we want to do is evil back. And forgiveness is where, where we say, no, that is going to stop here. I'm not going to perpetuate this any further. Again, I know forgiveness is tough. But, you know, right after Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, this is what happens immediately after. He says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's as if Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer and then he recognizes there's a part in there people aren't going to like. And just so that they realize that I really meant what it sounded like I meant, I'm just going to make it really clear. And so he says it again, right? So as hard as it can be, Jesus calls us to let go of the hatred and to not return evil for evil. And this is core to his teaching and core to how we're supposed to be formed. We should be asking for God to do this in us, right? To enable us to forgive what we want forgiven in us. All right. Last line. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The phrasing of that last line can be confusing to people. Because it sounds like we're begging God. Oh, please, God, don't tempt me to sin. As if God wants to do that. But the book of James tells us that God has no interest at all in tempting us to sin. It says, when tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor can he tempt anyone. Okay, so we don't want to think of that as us begging God not to tempt us, right? 
When we pray, lead us into temptation, we're asking God to help us to stay away from situations where we're going to be tempted to sin. We're saying, God, direct my steps away from evil and toward what is right. And when we pray that, part of what we're doing is we're recognizing the susceptibility within us to fall into sin. We're humbling ourselves. We're saying, okay, I'm not going to get cocky here. I'm not going to assume that I've got this all together. I'm going to recognize that even though I might feel like I've got everything under control, that all it takes is being in the wrong place at the wrong time, not having enough sleep, whatever, being too hungry, and I can lose my temper, I can lash out, I can give in to lust. I have that susceptibility within me. That's part of what we recognize in the Lord's Prayer. We recognize, I need help. And it's, it's, a, good, it's a great way to close the prayer, right? Because you're about to go out into the world for who knows what, and you're saying, I recognize, I'm going to need to depend on you, God, every step of the way. I need your help. Deliver us from the evil one. Notice there, right? It's not deliver me, God, from yourself, who it wants to tempt me. No, it's deliver, deliver me from the evil one. There is someone who wills my destruction, but it is not God. Right? So help me, God, not to fall into the evil one's traps. So, in review... Jesus calls us to pray simply and honestly, not to perform for other people and not to perform for God. We can talk to God about anything, and we should, but if we are going to be formed into the kind of people that Christ calls us to be, we should be praying for what the Lord's Prayer tells us to pray for. Praying that God would be honored above all else, praying that the world would be made right, praying that God would meet our daily needs, physical and spiritual, praying that we would forgive as we want to be forgiven, and praying that God would help us to avoid falling into evil. So, I'd like to invite us to close together in prayer by standing and saying the words of the Lord's Prayer. And hopefully as we say them right now, they might carry a little bit more meaning than they did before the message today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You can be seated.